everyone, I'm Hannah Lloyd. And I'm Charlotte Gilfillan. Welcome to our podcast, Women in Wellies. Each episode, we will be inviting a guest to share their stories, experiences and lessons of working and living in rural Scotland. We want to get to know the real women behind the wellies and share them with you, our listeners. Welcome to episode 12 of the Women in Wellies podcast. And today I have the absolute pleasure of introducing our guest, Linda Tinson. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Charlotte. How are you? Very well indeed, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Linda, what we like to do at the start of each podcast episode is just ask our guests to introduce themselves. So tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Um, yeah, Linda Tinson was Harley, so uh, farming family, um, farmer's daughter, uh, married for a long time now, <laughs> three daughters, all grown up. Um, and the apple of my eye, obviously. Uh, and um, I am also a rural lawyer, head of um, rural business now at Burnus Paul, in, based in Edinburgh, but all over the country. And you grew up on a farm, didn't you? Yeah, mixed farm in uh, West Fife. We don't call it West Fife, we call it overlooking the M90 because it's a bit warmer down this size than some bits of West Fife but uh, yeah um, we had uh, grew up working farm arable and uh, cattle mainly I think we had sheep at some point but they they went quite quickly um, and uh, yeah considered myself a bit of a, a an urban cowgirl uh, we used to drive cattle down the high street of Inverkeething uh, between land holdings and uh, on our ponies and yeah, generally, we're fairly feral. That sounds like a pretty idyllic childhood, Linda. <laughs> well, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. What inspired your move into rural law? Well, I'd, I'd, we'd, we'd been away in living in England. Um, we'd come back up to Scotland living in Angus. Um, I had got to the stage where I'd had 10 years out with three children three children in three and a half years there's not a lot of option to do anything else and um we had moved to rural angus uh i had decided that uh wife and mother was fine but it wasn't enough and we would um i'd get a job so i i trotted off to a job agency 2005 and they had two jobs on offer for me that day one in um residential and um general conveyancing and one was in agricultural law with Hamish Lean in Forfar and I decided that that would be my route because that's where I came from and I thought okay I'm going to do this agricultural holdings 2003 act had not long come in there was a lot happening in the sector and it was really yeah I thought yeah I think I'll do this this looks fun and it was so here we are. And um, what was it like being a woman at that time moving into the rural law sector? Uh, well, there were there were, there were good representation of very very clever women, you know, in among the rural law community, um, and they're still around a lot of them. But uh, I would say the wider rural community was definitely a lot less you know, women in agriculture has really made a big difference, I would say. The succession was still very um, male-dominated uh, and walking into a room at a NFU or a SLE or whatever event, you would largely find men 
um, over 50, you know, white Anglo-Saxon males. <laughs> and it, 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 I think the demographic has changed probably a fair bit since then. So your three daughters, are they all rural based? Uh, well, the eldest is slightly in the sense that she works at Retty and Co and, and does country country houses. Um, the other two are currently living in London. One's about to move to Switzerland, but they were all raised on ponies, basically. <laughs> and um, as such, still have that grounding. Um, they're not agricultural because we were not farmers. Uh, my brother's were farmers but um that we were not um i won't say why but you know that was the way of it back in the 70s and 80s girls girls were educated and boys were farmers um and uh so as a result we actually moved back to our family farm uh in i think 2009 and lived next door to my parents so we had the lovely benefit of being on farm without farming so uh the girls did have that outdoor upbringing again sounds like a pretty idyllic childhood yeah they they did they had a lot of fun a lot of fun you've just recently taken up another position haven't you with um royal highland show yeah i was extremely honored i have to say i was it was a weeping moment when I got a call to say, would I be a vice president of the highland show um my mother would have been oh beside herself with excitement um and my dad was pretty emotional um we've we've always been very uh we went to so many shows growing up we showed ponies we before that my grand my father show jumped horses with his brother my great my grandparents showed Clydesdales you know it goes way back so for us it was very we have always grown up with the Highland Show as a main thing in our summer. That was it. Um, I think I've missed it once when I was actually giving birth to my youngest. <laughs> so, so for me to be asked to do that, it was it was a phenomenal honour. So I'm really, really excited about the show this year. I know. I mean, it's going to be even bigger and better this year, isn't it? Well, I hope so. <laughs> and we're working with, a, with some fantastic um amazing initiatives in our presidential marquee we've got some fantastic science on show it's called the science of food and drink our initiative and um as part of that we've got some amazing exhibits coming and some really energetic people who are innovating in a way that is really great to see what a fantastic opportunity to showcase something like that as well yeah it is and and I think the presidential team have come together and we've all got different skill sets, um, but we've really been putting a lot of effort in. So hopefully it pays off. Hopefully it pays off. Yeah, I'm sure it will do. I think everyone will have seen Flock to the Show in celebration of the Golden the golden Shears. And is that that's a presidential initiative as well, isn't it? Uh, not as such, I don't think. I think they're doing that separately. Um, it's the World Championship Shearing. So... Uh, we have got a sheep. The Presidential Initiative have got a sheep. Um, Bernice Paul have got a sheep. Um, and uh, we're having them, hopefully they're flocking back to our presidential marquee to stand on the, the lawn outside it. I'm sort of, we're still negotiating that with um, the Highland Show as to the location of our sheeps. But our sheeps are hopefully going to be in front of our tent. Um, and uh, hopefully the Taylor Crisps sheeps 
will also be in front of our tent. So we'll have a nice little flock. So Linda, we've talked a bit about kind of who you are and what you do, but I think um, we all do what we do because of things that inspire us. So can you tell us a little bit about what inspires you to do what you do? Yeah, I'm very passionate about succession. I'm very passionate about um, the next generation. I'm, I'm very passionate about the fact that for generations, uh, there have been issues around succession in farming. It is just the way it is. Any family business, and in fact, if you watch succession on TV, you will see it's it's every business, small, large, medium-sized, rural, urban. It is just an issue. It's it's human nature. Um, it's it's the Lion King. The old man doesn't want to go. It it is just human nature. So it's fascinating, and the psychology of it is fascinating. And walking into a room with a, a family, that's why we go out in the field quite a lot. You you garner more from walking into a room of people at their home than you can ever do in a professional office. You immediately pick up body language. I think we were doing a survey, that, well, not a survey, a course the other day about you know the percentage of communication that is body language, the percentage of communication that is unspoken. And it, it's something like 93%. So it is, it is amazing how much you can go on. And that's my passion, to, to try and help people in situations where otherwise, very inadvertently often, things can happen my mom was one of eight children um her her family did have bad feeling and fallouts she was passionate that even if we all hated each other professionally we would all have christmas together and that's that's the goal of every family yeah and i think it's um what comes through for me linda is your it's, a, it's about people it's a passion for kind of people people getting a solution that's workable for them in their family life that uh, that facilitates business growth that allows kind of farming to to go on we like i like to think that we try and seek solutions not problems and as a lawyer we all are trained to see the problems and we're all trained to look for the faults and we're all trained to critique um but if you can do that with the vision of what you're trying to achieve, then that hopefully helps. But if you don't have the vision of what you're trying to achieve, you get lost in the detail quite a lot. So it, it, it and people hyper-focus on certain issues. Um, you know, you will find that sometimes there's a, a row, you get to the very end of a, a settlement with people and it, it could fall apart for the sake of a, a gate, you know, and that's human nature. Um, it's very interesting and no no two no two families no two situations are the same it it, it is very interesting it's, it's a great job and all about people which is which is what we Charlotte and I both like people too so we, they're a common theme here <laughs> a lot of our listeners will probably know you in a professional context um but we do like to get a bit of an insight into the woman behind the wellies on the podcast now you've had some really you've had a really kind of diverse background some you know some really interesting experiences and things um one of the things that I'd, I'd love to know a bit more about is that you've played sport at an international level do you want to tell us a bit more about that 
Well, it's a bit of a, you know, it's lacrosse. And as my husband says, that's not a real sport. People don't really play. But they do. And I did. And I played for Scottish schools. And then I played Scottish universities. Then I played. um, And I was um, actually in the A squad, but I played in the B team. But I played against Wales. I played against England. Played against, uh, I can't remember, somewhere else. Was it? Holland or somewhere came over so uh yeah but it was great fun um I was captain of the university team and we, we sport was really important to me I I, I love it I, I was also brought up riding ponies we were in the you know my kids were in the Scottish um working hunter teams we have you know I I am very at heart don't look at now sporty person I'm assuming the lacrosse is where you had your teeth knocked out, or was that a different time? No, I was actually hockey. I, I, was, I was playing hockey in uh, at school, and it was a frosty day. Uh, nowadays, you wouldn't play in frosty days on grass. Um, and, of course, no one had mouth guards in those days. And uh, Hannah will know where it was, side pitch at St George's. And... Uh, uh the ball just came straight up whacked me in the teeth and I spat my teeth out in a sort of cartoon character manner <laughs> you're reminding me Linda why I didn't ever play hockey <laughs> yeah and the, the sad thing is I went on had them fixed it took a long time had them fixed and and went on and kept playing hockey and got a mouth guard at that point as mum said my 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 uh, caps were too expensive to get broken <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you've you've worked in some different places around the world as well, Linda, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I did a spell in Hong Kong when I qualified. I actually went on a round the world ticket to travel and um, arrived in Hong Kong to visit friends and thought I'd be a nanny or a secretary or something. I didn't really want to do anything serious. And then my friend pointed out to me that lawyers get paid tons in Hong Kong and why don't you just be one? So. <laughs> I went to the recruitment agent and um, got a job pretty quickly and um, stayed out there for, yeah, about eight, nine months, something like that, and did an in-house job for an accountancy firm. Fantastic. What was that experience like then, being out there? Oh, it was great fun. Um, I actually shared a flat with uh, Doug McAdam, ex-CEO uh, of uh, Scotland Estates. Um, I wouldn't tell the stories. It- <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of fun. It was a great place to be at the time. I think you were a tatty inspector at one stage as well. I am, I am very proud of my tatty inspector qualification. I, I put it on my CV religiously. Um, I Yeah, I was a tatty inspector back in the day and it was a great job. You could work all summer for four or five weeks, earn enough money to go off and have a grand old time. So it was it was a great job. Worked in Angus and still have lots of connections up in Angus from doing my tatty inspecting. And to this day, I will walk onto a farm and they'll go, oh, you came here and inspected tatties in 1986 or whatever. And yeah. <laughs> this kind of wealth of experience and diversity of experience will no doubt really kind of help on the rural law side. Um, connecting with clients, being able to understand their position, their situations, being able to advise them. Yeah, it's. I think in any uh, professional advisor job, uh, it's a bit like you look at politicians now and you think, well, they've done nothing but be a politician. I think in any job, 
any profession, you the more richer experiences that you can bring to the table, the better. Uh, if you can, if you can take, and I suppose it's the old fashioned scent, old fashioned sort of um, word of wisdom. You know, it is. It, it does come with age or experience, one of the two. Um, and I think whilst you don't want to be a fuddy-duddy old person and sort of go, well, it was like that back in the day, so it must be like that now, you can hopefully derive experiences that you can apply. For example, I was um, my husband was a housemaster at Fetty's and I was a resident matron and we had 60 boys in the boarding house and we had three children under three and a half at the time. We learned people skills there extremely fast and you still can use that in your everyday life because you see people under stress the parents of children are the most stressed people on the planet because you can't control your children but you want to and you want them to do the best and and I was my husband's a teacher my daughter one of my daughters is a teacher that is the ultimate (laughs) job that is you meet people at their um, most vulnerable when you're dealing with someone's children. And I think it's similar in what we do with this this family business. Family business model has the same sort of uh, feelings. Um, and it's really interesting to take those experiences and be able to apply them. And family is something that is hugely important to you. And how has having had a family helped shape your decision making throughout your career I think it changes you um what I remember when I went in and this will seem like ancient history to you young people um I went in to work fine you know and was I was I was having I was expecting my first child and I was going to tell them I was going to tell them that I was expecting my first child and I went in I told them I was expecting my first child and I would be going off and she was going to be due at Christmas and we would we you know let them know and they can make plans and whatever and at the time I think maternity leave was I can't remember six months or something it was really not great and and I thought right well we'll see how we do you know um we could probably manage to not go back to work but we'll see um and I heard from my work colleague that the person who I told had turned around to her, who was a year older and equally likely to have babies, and said, oh, well, that's the last we'll see of her. And I thought, I could take that. I was raging at the time, I remember, because I, I was a St. George's girl, Hannah, and I was an empowered woman, and I was raging. And I thought, well, I can take that and I can be raging and I can come back to spite them to show him I can do this or I can do what I want to do and what I wanted to do was stay at home and have my child and I did and I very quickly had another one rashly um 17 months between them uh uh but that is a big lesson do what suits you don't do what other people have to you know you you don't all have to fit the mold and you don't have to prove to other people you only have to prove to yourself I think it's even more difficult now, I think, for women in terms of society's expectations and this idea of a mould, because on one hand, you are expected to have children as a woman. And on the other hand, you are criticised for having children because of the impact it potentially has on your career. There's never, there just doesn't seem to be a right answer in all of this. You're vindicated either way. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And having three daughters who one just got married and no doubt, well, hopefully at some point, some of them might have babies. I, I look at them and think, yeah, it's hard because it, and I sometimes look at women of my generation who see that I had 10 years out and came back and have still managed to scrape my way up that pole. I think they sometimes a little bit of resentment creeps in. And I think, well, do you know, I made my choices and, you know, sometimes it's it's just luck. But sometimes if you're true to yourself and you actually do what's right for you, you don't go wrong. There may be an element of luck in there, but my God, there's a there's an element of sheer and utter hard work. In- Determination. Um, I think I think. Uh, yeah, determination is 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 absolutely essential it's drive and if if you if you are people are wired differently people all have different ways to get to wherever they're going you know it's the old it's the old graphic of success doesn't go in a line it goes in lots of loops and curls and backs and forwards it it, that's real and and also how do you measure success to some people success is is you know just doing what they do it's fine um and that's absolutely great. And to me, what's success to me? You know, I don't know. Um, still being here. <laughs> it's difficult. Everybody has different measures. And as long as you, I think happiness is probably success. Is that something you've instilled in your daughters as well? I hope so. You don't know, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty, pretty happy people, I think, on the whole. Um, Joanna's off today doing the Cataran Yomp. She won't be very happy tonight. But... <laughs> That's quite an undertaking. 38 miles she's doing today, yeah. Yeah, I saw that on um, on LinkedIn this morning and I thought, oh yeah, I think I'd rather be recording a podcast this morning. Like, that's much rather what I would do. <laughs> yeah, she left Edinburgh, I think, at five this morning and somewhere on a hill somewhere at the moment. So, Linda, I think we, we talk a lot on, on this podcast about challenges and I am... Um, I really liked when we sent you your notes in advance and we asked you kind of what's your biggest challenge and you just said I'm not sure there's one in particular there's been so many um what would you, I guess maybe rather than sharing specific challenges but what what would your kind of advice be around challenges or um yeah what would you say to somebody about challenges you know challenges are are, are hurdles they're not they're not walls um and you know, I feel a bit like the gruffler. Is it the gruffler? You can't go over it. You know, the bear hunt. I'm going on a bear hunt. You don't go over it. You don't go under it. You go around it, you know, and you will find a way. Um, and sometimes challenges are not surmountable. Sometimes you just have to walk away. And that, that's been a, probably a really important thing to know when to walk away. Uh, my kids and all my friends will know that I am um, a bit of a music fan all kinds but particularly country and uh there's a great you know know when to hold them know when to fold them know when to walk away know when to run you know it, you sometimes just have to go no nah, that's not for me but sometimes you have to power on shoulder in and i think the other quote i used was a fred astaire song that is you know pick yourself up dust yourself off and start all over again uh because that's life and it, and you can't have the good without the bad. You can't have the yin without yang. You have you have to just ride it, ride the wave. Would you Would you say, Linda, there's been any particular kind of challenges that have maybe early in your career anything that have really shaped 
how you how you do what you do now and why you do what you do now when you when you're 29 and you get you you're pregnant you're having your first child and you basically I got married at 26 quite early really nowadays but um you were basically like well she got married so pew. life goes past now you're not going to get up the ladder you know you're not and um that's just the way it is you know you're going to sit there and some people are okay with that that's fine they just want to be do their job I didn't love my job enough I did not love it I love what I do now but I didn't love what I did then and I did, did the other thing is as you change and get older and whatever your skill sets change so you can you can do other jobs and do other aspects of jobs so you do get more opportunity um but it but in terms of sort of was there a specific key moment? It was probably that moment when I was basically heard back that I wouldn't go back to work. And I thought, do you know, and at university, actually, I remember the first year of university, I was very um, social. Uh, and, and I managed to fail three or four of my courses, quite spectacularly. And um, I went... I was called in to see my advisor of studies and uh, he sat there and he said, well, this is, this is dire. You know, you're not going to sit, you're not going to pass the research. This is dire. And I went, really? And he says, yeah. And he says, so here's some arts faculty application forms. Why don't you just do some arts? And I took them and I looked at him and I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'll pass the research. And he said, well, you know, you know, you maybe should hedge your bets. And I went, and that was a seminal moment. I walked out and I did not fail any time again. So I'm, I'm what you call an interpressure person. So if you know horses, you know, interpressure horses, there's some that you push and they push back. I, I do that. You push me, I push back. So they're very, they're very um, uh, life affirming if you like moments for me if if someone pushes me back and says you can't do it I'll do it yeah and do you think Linda things like the way you were kind of viewed when you announced you were having a baby at 29 and how that affected your career do you think that affects how you manage people and interact with colleagues today yes yes yeah I I I have a team of um law at the moment is there are many more women anyway, so it's great. Um, but I certainly would never say you can't come and work for me because you're having babies. And I would never think, you know, oh, I've hired someone, crikey, they're 30 and they're going to have babies. Um, I, w- I would think that. I know that. They probably will. Good good on them. Hopefully they do. But I certainly would be always trying to make it as easy. And actually, I've had some frank conversations with one of my uh, associates actually left to go and be a full-time mum uh two little boys and we had that conversation and said look this is not forever go and really enjoy this portion of your life you will never get it back in 10 years time or five years time or three years time if you're bored come back to me come and ask me I want to come back I was given that opportunity and and it was fantastic to to go back but take this time and and love it because it's the best it's the best best 10 years of my life interesting and I think that's really important in professional 
services that there are people kind of advocating for that because it won't be for everyone but it but it will be for some people and and having somebody there who's advocating that you know go and take your maternity leave go and take time off but come back you know we know we know what you're capable of just because you've had a break doesn't mean that you're you're not I think that's really really valuable yeah and I'm, I'm very very um passionate about helping women young women I think it's really important I think that it's still a sexist world um I I think I said in my notes Hannah I had to look up gender equity it's not a thing where I come from you know where am I growing up but I want it to be for everyone and I think I think lots of things are changing lots of things are changing for the good lots of my kids are particularly in my younger two are very woke (laughs) they they know what's happening. They keep their mother woke and up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and for example, I think until parental leave is equal, um, we will not get gender equity. Parental leave, I think, is what it should be called. I think parental leave should almost be, you know, compulsorily equal. <laughs> Um, you can't do that, of course, but you know, it, it is, it is because I wouldn't have ever given up my firstborn to my husband to look after, <laughs> but, but, um, but it is something that, that the workplace has to consider and it is happening. People, it is changing. You are seeing more and more kind of dads be off for six months or three months or, or whatever. I think, it, I do think it, um, we are seeing more of it. Yeah. But then is that counter to, you know, a woman's right to, you know, have that time, especially with their child? You know, there's so many different facets of this. And, uh, you know, you see what is happening on social media and, and, you know, and J.K. Rowling and the attitudes to her attitudes. And you think, you know, that's one of the things I think is quite sad at the moment is that people are not entitled to their own opinion. Um. And it is really important that I think we still say, I believe this and I can do it. And, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that's slightly toxic about this this new way of um, always having to be the correct way. There is no correct way. There's lots of ways. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that is kind of, you know, all that chimes into kind of why Charlotte and I want to do a podcast like this. Well, you, why you, Linda, will advocate for kind of women in your team and support next generation of women coming through and all those things kind of co- come together. And it's about all kind of being there to listen and support each other and kind of give the opportunity for people to share their share their opinions, but kind of allow people space to do what's right for them. Yeah. And I think women, I, I, I think about women in agriculture, women in wellies, women in this, women in that. And I think, have we moved past that? Should we stop doing this? Um, because we shouldn't have to still be women in wellies. But we haven't really moved past it yet. We're not there yet. And um, I am a bit of a ooh, women in agriculture. Not sure about that. Not sure about that. Um people in agriculture, people. And I think we're nearly there. I think we are nearly there, people in agriculture. But it, it's, it's still a struggle. Um, but it's a struggle we're winning, so keep going. 
Linda, I, I'm not sure if I've ever told you this, um, but you are actually one of the people that I look up to most within the rural sector. And I love how you champion the next generation and the support that you've given to, um, you know, to women in particular and particularly women that have worked for you and worked with you. Um, we always end the podcast by asking our guests, what's the one piece of advice you would give to the next generation of rural women in Scotland? But given what we've just talked about, perhaps it's rural people in Scotland. Yeah, I think it is rural people in Scotland because we can't, you know, women in agricultural rural communities need, we, we need each other. There's a synergy. There's a yin and a yang. We, we can't all do everything. And I think women in agriculture women in rural life have always had an extremely important role um it it has been a culture that has has not allowed that to show we were we were a hundred years back it was a different landscape because people had had babies all the time and didn't you know they didn't have physical attributes to for example um physically work in the same way as a man could this has changed um i think women in agriculture women in rural world it is a different environment and it is people now there's automation there's there's lots of ways we can we can still do the same jobs as each other but in terms of uh, advice yeah, just do it don't take no for an answer it, and and also there's never a, there's never a right time you don't know when the right time is. You just keep going and you will find the right time. You will hit the sweet spot. You know, it's a sporting analogy. When you hit that hockey ball and it hits the sweet spot, you know it's hit the sweet spot. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. I I, I am not young. <laughs> I won't tell you how old I am. I will. I'm 58. And I'm starting afresh now in a new role, in a new company, in a new way, with a new team. And people, I think, thought I was mad. But I'm ready for it. I'm up for it. Now's the time. Very inspiring, Linda. The move that you've made and, and you know, what you're doing and what you're achieving at the moment is just absolutely phenomenal. Obviously inspires Hannah and I, but will inspire a lot of other people as well. Thank you, Charlotte. It's a real honour to be told that by you because that's the other thing. You look at your own life from your own perspective. You don't see it through other people's lenses. And it, it's um, and the other thing I was going to say, we've got to big each other up. I think women are terrible at bigging each other up. There is a toxic masculinity culture where we don't and we must do that. And that's really great while you're doing your podcast. I think it's brilliant. Well done. Oh, thank you very much. We are very much of the view that, you know, collaboration as opposed to competition. Obviously, you can have some healthy competition, but, um, you know, we all succeed more if we work together and support each other. And that's, you know, obviously been a key objective of the podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much, Linda, for joining us today and sharing stories, experiences and some fantastic lessons with our listeners. You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if anyone would like to connect with Linda on social media, you'll find details in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram at Women and Wellies Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest news. And you can email us with any questions on womeninwelliespodcast at gmail.com and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time.